Welcome back to Prestigious Minds. This is a bonus episode where Rob and I are going to talk about subjects and topics that we find interesting that we may have lightly touched on whenever we've talked about specific people. So I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of Prestigious Minds. So we're back with you this week. And this is going to be a complimentary episode going off of the steam power. Steam power. We have a little bit of interest in steam power, don't we? That is true. Both being engineers, we have a thing or two to say about steam. Just a quick announcement. This October is going to be our first ever Scaretober event series. We are going to be telling fairy tales that would have been heard throughout the 19th century and before. These are not the Disney family fun versions. Oh no. These are the original chilling versions as told when they were first written down. So join us next month for the first ever Scaretober. Right here on Prestigious Minds. Yes. Okay, so, Rob, do you want to uh, you want to introduce us to the steam engine? Sure. Let's start at the top. How about that? The steam engine probably came around, or the idea came around way before it was commercially um, accessible. But in, like, the early 1700s, a fellow by the name of Thomas Newcomb had the first, first commercially viable steam engine that would make power for locomotion. Now, fast forward a little bit. There's a few more innovators that have better ideas. But a guy by the name of James Watt. You may know him by the Watt. Do you, Jeremiah, do you know what the Watt is? The Watt is a measure of power. You can tell that Mr. James Watt is a pretty important dude. He revolutionized steam power and steam power locomotion by having a separate condenser. Jeremiah, if you want to help me interject, but... I'm going to give the basics of how a steam engine works. Okay, so so before you jump into that, I want you to keep in mind that at the very beginning, steam was primarily used to pump things. So like you had steam pumps, and they were primarily used in mining and raw ore collection and other materials, that kind of thing. They're not used for locomotion. Yeah, they weren't using it for moving machinery. They are using it in probably the most rudimentary form that you can think of. Right. Maybe heating too. I'm not sure which came first, locomotion or heating via steam, but I would say steam if I were to guess. Yeah. And and the way it worked was the steam would be produced, which would turn a pseudo turbine, basically not like a modern day turbine per, per se, but, and this would turn a lever that would turn a reel that would pump like you would like a hand crank kind of pump, but on a larger scale. To go back into what an actual steam engine is, I would give that back over to Robert. I'm talking rudimentary terms here, but it's pretty much you have a big kettle that you heat, and the water, when it's heated, produces steam. We're not going to get into wet or dry steam, but let's say it produces dry steam. You know, it's just pure steam. It will go through... So superheated. Yeah, we're not going to go into that much detail, but maybe Wait. in a later episode, who knows? I, I will interject right here. So it is a... I agree. I'm not going to complicate this, even though I like to dive into the details. What gives steam, why is steam so valuable for a power source? Like in terms of what gives it its power? Well, you could say that the thermal energy introduced from its fuel source would give it the ability to cause pressure to build 
by compression. That would be a my off the cuff kind of answer to that. So if you push that, if you have enough steam that can build pressure against a lever, you can get that lever to move. That's how steam turbines work. And that's how steam piston engines work, too. So it's all about pressure. Right. So steam engines are pretty, pretty much pressure-driven. That's kind of what how you would rate their, not rate their power, but that's how you kind of gauge how much power they can make. Not necessarily the temperature, but the pressure they can hold. Yeah, the thermal energy actually is not where the energy comes from. That's actually waste energy. So we're at the tea kettle, and we have a, say we have a pipe. It's under pressure. We got some valves and twisty knobs, you know, all the fun stuff. Yep. And we're producing steam. The, the, the pot is now boiling water, and we have steam, and the steam is going through the pipe. Now let's open up that valve. Okay. Here we are. We have a, we have a flow of steam. We've discussed what the steam does. It, it has a pressure behind it, which turns a lever, a fin, whatever it may be, it can move objects in a, in a rudimentary fashion. Right. Let's take that, that lever that it's made. Let's, let's imagine here you have a kettle on a stove, a spoon taped to the end of that kettle, or whatever, and it moves that ever so slightly. Now let's take that spoon, widen the base to where it's flat, and have it centered around a, a hub, and have many of those fins. That's exactly how a steam turbine works. Attach that whole contraption to a shaft that moves a wheel. That is steam locomotion in its most basic form. Exactly, and, and so you have now a feasible way to turn a flywheel, as you would, or a drive shaft, and you can turn thermal energy into mechanical energy. The early steam engines that we're talking about used pistons, kind of similar to a combustion engine you would find in your car, but we're talking in basic terms. So what you have is you will produce steam, and the steam is under pressure. You let in the steam. And the steam pushes the piston, which pushes a lever arm, which is connected to a wheel or a flywheel. And that pushes the wheel because the lever is connected on that wheel on one side, not the center. Because if it was connected to the center, it wouldn't turn. Now the piston is coming back up because now you have motion. And so you end up with the piston being pushed back towards, which pushes out the exhaust steam that is now condensed. It is now at a lower pressure. You op- like you have the valve that opens back up and forces steam back into the cylinder. So this is how basic steam engines work, which is very fascinating because this is very similar to how petrol engines work. Or, for our U.S. listeners, gasoline engines and diesel engines, anything that runs off of fuel. Piston-driven. Right. If you want to take that from a locomotive style, so with a piston... And you want to look at other ways that steam is used. So we're looking at a shaft that has a piston on one end and it is connected to a lever and it's pushing a flywheel. That is how the pumps work that I mentioned. Now you also now can apply that movement not just to machinery such as pumps or crankshafts for you know belt-driven machinery. Now you can also create motion with that. The primary mode of transportation, if you had available to you would be water, which was a whole lot quicker and more efficient. You can now introduce steam power to boats and ships. And this is where you this is where the famous um, paddle wheels, the paddle wheel boats came about were the first version of these steamboats. And there's there's many there's very many 
like famous depiction of these, especially if you have any art from Louisiana, very popular. Right. I think they still kind of run. I mean, Queen Mary, isn't that a, uh, a paddle wheel boat? It doesn't run on steam, but it's kind of like an homage to what they were. And uh, Well, you do have the General Jackson that runs in Nashville. It is a paddle wheel boat. If I remember correctly, I want to say that... So this, I believe, is a... It's not... It is a modern one. Very similar to what you're talking about. And it's an electric paddle wheel. But there used to be an actual boat like an actual steam paddle boat that was called the general jackson right and like most things i mean most things we've gone from steam power to coal power to or steam power to gas power diesel whatever it is to electric that's just the natural progression but since we've pretty much told you the the basics of how a steam engine works let's talk about like where it's going and the modern applications so you may think if you you know if you're not in the in the power generation um, industry, or you're not very aware of how where your power comes from, it all comes from steam. At least here in the U.S. I want to take a quick break to thank you for listening to this episode of Prestigious Minds. I hope that you are enjoying it. Also, I would like to ask if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or anywhere you listen, and let us know what you think of the show and maybe any future topics or people that you would like us to cover here. Also, don't forget that you can find us on Instagram at pminespod, where you'll also get a visual representation, not just the audio of what we talk about here. Now back to the show. So... Water is the best working fluid because it's the most readily available and cheapest source and it's very good at transferring energy. So we, you can produce steam by multitudes of different ignition sources. You can do that with coal. You can do it with wood, which is how they originally did it. They did it with wood. Or my personal favorite, nuclear energy. Yes, which is also the most efficient because you have the, le- the the least amount of losses across the entire system. Primarily the initial portion of ignition and whatnot, but in natural gas as well. You know, any any petrol version of fuel can do the same thing. Anything that can burn theoretically can produce steam via heating up water when we originally used it here in the u.s and i would say even in great britain it was for machinery like we'd mentioned and then later moved to steamboats and then it eventually moved to locomotives that was a very powerful thing because now we have a way to efficiently move across land and not have impediments in the way of that so now you now if you need to go you know, over the mountains. Well, if there is someone that had enough money that they could blast through the mountain or go around it via rail, it would be more efficient and overall cheaper and probably way less dangerous to travel via railroad than it would be to travel, you know, horse and buggy. Oh yeah. Just imagine like if anyone wanted to go to the West, let's say, I don't know, uh, Kansas before there was rail, you would have to get in a, a, a cart pulled by a horse and you'd have to go there. Now imagine if you could hire a bunch of people that laid rail and you could swap those in and out. It's less dangerous overall. You could lay the track there, put a station. You could have 
a really comfortable passenger car, go all the way there and all the way back in a relatively quick time. I mean, if you want to talk about one industry that's transformed America, the the rail industry probably has transformed America more than anything. It opened up America and made it feasible to travel virtually to any city you wanted. Obviously, the, the invention of the interstate highway system did that in more ways, but this is the the cheapest way the most efficient the most efficient economical way to travel from one place to another this also watched as a lot of steamboat operations somewhat ceased to exist in a lot of ways because the railroads especially whenever they could start building bridges you no longer had use for ferries across rivers you no longer needed them across lakes necessarily i mean why would you use a a ferry if you're going to have to get transport by land anyway like the point of the ferry was to kill time because you could sail you didn't have to take horse and buggy if you need to go from new jersey to new york, to new york it's way quicker to take a ferry right than a horse yeah cause you, i mean you had to go all the way around which is a long trip and some of these trips so just for context because i don't think we we today don't suffer from this Time for us is way more efficiently spent when it comes to travel than what it used to be. Putting that into a better situation would say that some of these trips on steamboats from New Jersey to upper portions of New York were hours long. Not yeah. minutes, hours long. So and some like, of these were like 10 hours long. Yeah, 10 to 12 hours long. Imagine sitting on a boat like you have to commute somewhere and it's 12 hours Basically, your entire day or night is spent on a boat. Yeah. Or maybe you get there at the end of the day, you get there like 7, 8 o'clock. Well, it's dark. There's not electricity, so you're going to eat by candlelight and go to bed. And a lot of times, like, you wouldn't just go to the port to port. You'd have to go port to port and then take another transportation mode to where you're actually going. So even though getting a ferry or steamboat was the best way, there is definitely a better way. And that's where you get the locomotive from. The locomotive allowed you to maybe, let's just for you know sake of this argument, say that you're, you're still taking a steamboat. You leave lower Manhattan. You show up in Elizabethtown, New Jersey, which I believe is now Elizabeth. But anyway, and now instead of taking a stagecoach or staying at maybe the hotel near the dock, you can now get on a passenger train and you can go a few miles or a few hours inland to the the next major city, which if you were to follow the river, because most of the cities, almost all of them laid on the river because of boats. So now a trip that would take you, say, a few days on boat, now take you maybe a day or less on rail. Yeah, and guess what you can do? You can sleep. There was an account by um, Vanderbilt late when he took a, uh, a train that it was way better than uh, the bouncy horse and you know horse and buggy because it was so like I mean, imagine the roads back then they were not paved they were not maintained they were dirt and stone yeah, I mean, if you were lucky right yeah there there holes in them it was muddy and a rail it's just smooth steel rail there wasn't much development so you didn't have a lot of impediment on the rails either right moving forward in time for the steam side of things so we have locomotive eventually and i'm going to touch this very briefly because i'd like to save this for a different episode steam eventually became 
steam power was eventually used in automobiles. It was one of the first forms of automobiles. Of course, the problem with this is you need a huge tank, you need a pressurized boiler to house the steam and the water. Now, they have these, and if you don't know, you've never seen one, Jay Leno, famous you know, comedian also known for having a massive car collection, has several of these steam cars, and so you could probably look up some of his uh, examples of this. But steam cars were a novelty thing, and it was a horseless, horseless carriage, but it operated the same way, basically scaled down for, you know, local transportation. Moving past automobiles, you eventually were able to produce power once the problem of producing electricity was solved. Now you, as we had mentioned before, your electricity comes from steam power. So Rob, you want to, you want to go maybe a little bit more into detail about the modern technology of how steam power works with power plants? We'll take our example of the, the steam kettle and the spoon, that very rudimentary example. Now imagine you have a pinwheel. Yeah. 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 Now you have a massive boiler that's story tall. And it's filled with all these all these intricate tubes, and are like all these intricate tubes filled with water are surrounded by a big ball of fire. And when I mean big ball of fire, it's like twelve foot in diameter. That's just a, a good way to think about it. And how we do it now is we'll take coal, or I think we're moving more towards natural gas, and we'll just shoot it into this ball, and it will combust. Those water tubes will be will be get sent from the boiler to a steam turbine that steam turbine will probably have low medium and high pressure veins to it how that works is the i mean these tur- steam turbines are probably they can be 20 30 feet long i mean i don't even know what diameter six seven eight nine ten feet in diameter at the largest and what you would do is you would run the steam and the steam would interact with these with these uh, you know these uh, turbines and they would generate power how it does that is it runs, you know, similar to a, like a magneto. You have a like magnets around and you run a copper coil and you can make electricity through an electric, electron, electric field. So you do that at a certain frequency and that frequency or that power is transmitted from transformers down to your house. That's a very basic way of putting that. I think that is a very fun example. And that, and that is steam. You also, in modern applications, have steam for various industry processes. I wouldn't say primarily, but mostly in household and specifically food. Steam is also used a lot in various medical applications for sanitation purposes. It is also used for, like I said, like industry processes. They use it for, you know, ovens, industrial size ovens, and other heating. Yeah. rendering plants like yeah. if you want to if you want to cook like waste material that's the way to do it yeah because it's super efficient and it carries heat with it and the thing is you can reclaim that heat so you collect the condensate and you, you can send it back through the system you know clean it up and send it back through the system or you can throw it to waste but won't if die. you take your yeah if you take your exhaust and you run water around your exhaust pipe you can get a little extra heat that way also known as an economizer yep so that is that is a uh a quick, I guess, a quick, not so quick introduction to steam up to the modern day in terms of general purposes. Let me rephrase that, general purpose use. If we want to dive more specifically into it, steam 
is a very useful way to convert energy. It's also a very dangerous way if you do not understand it properly. This is going to be a little bit of a primer for our next episode about Vanderbilt. And we had talked about how they would shut down the safety valve to overpressurize the boiler. And what this does is you produce steam. And the whole point of the safety valve is to relieve pressure at a certain set point as to not exceed the rating of the boiler or the system in general. Especially today, we have a lot of safety factors in place to ensure that malfunctions do not meet catastrophe if, if something were to happen. Right. But back then, you know, this is very rudimentary technology. Well, complicated technology for the day, but rudimentary in design. The And the materials available probably weren't designed to, with you know, hold together very well. And so you overpressurize it and it's all riveted together and... It will explode, and it was a bomb, basically. Yeah, we talk about factors of safety a lot in the engineering factor or in the engineering field, and I don't know how much factor safety a steam boiler back then would have. And now there's a lot of regulation to how things are are used and operated, and what kind of certifications you have to operate these things. But back then, regulation wasn't as sound. And being a new technology, no one knew how to use it. Just a quick example of that was. You would have these engineers that would run these steam steam boilers on these on these ships, and they would close down the valve to produce more pressure, which would in turn spin the paddle wheel faster, giving you more speed. These boilers were not designed for high pressure. The materials, as I had mentioned, weren't designed for high pressure either. You also had people that were competing on a business level so these inventors and industry leaders also were trying to come out with the best baddest biggest boilers you know to compete with each other for all this business that was going on imagine mixing someone who doesn't know what like how a boiler works and saying hey we just need to pressurize it more pressure is more power is more money yeah have that thought in your head you know steam i wouldn't say became synonymous with explosions but there was at the very early stages this happened i wouldn't say on a regular basis either but more often than you would imagine enough to spook the public and so initially steamships were not as profitable as they ended up becoming because people were experimenting they disregarded safety to a degree and and so you know if a steam boat was traveling and exploded and killed several people i mean why would i want to get on a steamboat if it's going to blow up you know i mean you can take an example with the the ss satan at the end of the civil war i mean they overcrowded that thing by like 1500 people you may see from one of our social media posts that this was kind of a there's a brief synopsis about this but you know they were they were trying to save money and they didn't want their competition to have any of the uh the fares you know say they they were supposed to have right under 400 people on this boat legally and they had about 2,000 packed on it one you know partly it was because they didn't want to separate the prisoners from the war with the uh the soldiers but a lot of it was they didn't want to or the captains of the boat didn't want to share the wages they didn't want to share the fare with their competition so this was a massive, a massive explosion that happened. It was the largest, and it still is the largest U.S. maritime, maritime um, disaster with 
11, over 1,100 people dying. Wow. That, wow. That's intense. That's yeah. intense. I mean, you, you, if you don't count Pearl Harbor, which was an act of war, as far as civilian, you know, a maritime accident, it's, it's crazy that this is the largest one that's happened over. I mean, over half the people died. I believe that probably ushered in a new era of uh, regulation. Yeah, you would you would hope so. I hate to close off on such a bitter, somber note, but I think this is a good introduction. I think this has been a good bootlegged episode talking about steam power and steam generation. And this will give a, give you a good idea of what we're going to be talking about going into Vanderbilt's specific experiences with this and other things that we'd mentioned in the previous episode. You got any final words before we send her off here, Rob? No, just don't forget to check out the uh, the previous episode and the one coming up about Vanderbilt and his steamboat business. All righty. Make sure to check that out. Okay, so this has been another one of Prestigious Minds Bootleg. Thank you for listening to this episode of Prestigious Minds. That concludes today's episode. If you've enjoyed the show, let us know how we can improve by leaving us a review on Apple Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at pmindspod. And go give us a follow over there where we discuss and share photographs, videos, and anything visual related to the podcast. And thank you for listening prestigious minds.